ETF Prime is hosted by Nate Geracine, president of investment advisory firm, The ETF Store. This program is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Investing in ETFs involves risk, including potential loss of principal. Any past performance figures discussed are not necessarily indicative of future results. The ETF store is not affiliated with Vetify or any of its affiliates. Vetify's participation in this program should not be construed as an endorsement or indication by Vetify of the value of any ETF store product or service. Visit ETFstore.com for more information. Is it time to amplify your growth exposure? Blockchain technology continues to fuel innovation, removes friction, and builds trust. See how blockchain can help drive value in supply chain, healthcare, retail, financial services, and more. Discover Amplify BLOK, an actively managed ETF that provides broad exposure to companies involved in blockchain technology. When growth matters to you, explore Amplify ETFs. Unlock at blokETF.com. Investing risk includes principal loss. Narrowly focused investments typically exhibit higher volatility. Blockchain does not invest directly in blockchain technology, but invests in companies actively involved in the development and utilization of blockchain technology. Blockchain technology may never develop optimized transactional processes that lead to realized economic returns for any company in which the fund invests. Visit AmplifyETFs.com to view a prospectus which includes investment objectives, risks, fees, expenses, and other information that you should read and consider carefully. Amplify ETFs are distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. Now it's time for ETF Prime where we discuss everything you need to know about exchange-traded funds and the world of investing. Whether you're an investing expert or just starting out, Nate will help you get up to date with what's happening on Wall Street and show you how exchange-traded funds can help lower your investment costs, reduce your tax bill, and allow you to take advantage of investment opportunities around the world. And now, the host of ETF Prime, Nate Geraci. All right, joining me this week will be Tom Lydon, Vice Chairman of Vetify, who of course is in the home stretch here. Uh, they're gearing up for next week's exchange conference. I can't wait for this. Uh, a week from today, I'll be down in Miami, uh, nice weather, beach. Certainly hope to see many of you there. But for our conversation this week, we're going to talk about this start to the year for the financial markets and certain ETF categories. I think some people would say it's been a rather surprising start when you look at an ETF like, say, the ARK Innovation ETF, ARKK, up 25% so far this year. Or some of these blockchain ETFs up 80, 90, 100%. Uh, we're seeing international ETFs continue to outperform. It's been pretty fascinating to watch. After I think there was generally... Uh, bearish sentiment entering the year. Obviously not everyone, but I would say overall, I don't think people were predicting, uh, you know, the NASDAQ 100 to be up 10% in the first month of uh, 2023. So Tom and I are going to discuss uh, everything we've seen so far this year and what may be driving this. And we'll certainly highlight some different ETF categories as well. Also joining me this week will be one of the best in the ETF business, Elizabeth Kashner, Director of Global Funds Research and Analytics at FactSet. She is just out with a uh, brand new piece where she did a full deep dive into 2022 ETF flows and fees. And there are a number of takeaways here. I would say a few that are probably obvious, but then there are several that I think might surprise you a little bit. 
So we'll get into uh, all of that later in the show. As always, questions or comments, you can find me on Twitter, at Nate Geraci, or you can go to ETFprime.com. Let's start with Vetify's Tom Lydon. Now we're joined by the experts at Vetify, a new data analytics and thought leadership company that is transforming financial services from an industry to a community, one relationship at a time. This is a challenging time, probably the most challenging in 30 years. Coming out of the financial crisis, $600 billion in ETF assets. They're starting to understand that there's more opportunity outside of those major market indexes. Tom, less than a week away from exchange. When are you uh, heading down to Miami, or are, are you already there? <laughs> you're, you're, uh, you're calling me out here, Nate. I'm heading out tomorrow. You know, some people have to go down early to make sure that the chairs around the pool are in the right spot, you know. <laughs> well, how are you uh, feeling about everything? I know it's going to be a fantastic event, but uh, I'm assuming the Vetify team is running like 100 miles an hour right now. We're really excited, Nate, and we're really excited to see you, and thank you for being a part of it. Uh, you and the team that's putting together the ETF University on Sunday for financial advisors is going to be awesome. You know, going through tools for advisors, sorting through the universe, due diligence, uh, we're going to have a ton of advisors there. We've got over uh, 750 advisors signed up, almost 2,000 people overall so it's going to be the best etf conference ever um obviously the weather is going to be nice as i'm looking at my phone it's saying it's 82 today and then we've got speakers like ian bremer uh dr david kelly from jp morgan uh you're going to love seeing roy williams a legendary basketball coach from north carolina and i know he spent some time at kansas as well interesting yeah that's exciting i did not know that um hey i did have a, a very important recommendation for you for this event. Um, can we please do a chopsticks training session on Sunday afternoon so I don't embarrass myself again? You, you know, for all of my uh, many talents and, and attributes, I cannot for the life of me operate chopsticks. And so I end up at these uh, sushi places, you know, down there asking for a fork. It's really not a great look. Yeah, it's okay, Nate. They have these um, starter chopstick sets where they put the rubber bands around them. We started our kids on those, so we'll make sure we have those for you. Yes, please. And and by the way, for listeners, again, I will be recording this podcast down there on Tuesday afternoon. It probably won't come out until uh, Wednesday, maybe Thursday at the latest of next week. And, and honestly, I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to do yet, but I do know I'll have Laura Krigger joining me live uh, perhaps I'll rope in another uh, guest or two. We'll see what happens. But definitely swing by if you want to see me record this live and in person. Um, okay, Tom, so let's talk about the start to the year for the markets and ETFs. And here's what I thought I'd do. I want to read you a tweet from AQR's Cliff Asnes. Uh, so this is from last Friday. Just, just listen to this. He tweeted, odd year so far. Looks like a super bubble start to the year. NASDAQ. Tesla, crypto, etc. Yet in factor world, its profitability in low beta, taking it on the chin, while value as we measure it is up decently. Anyone with a theory, I'm uh, bereft as of now. And then I'm going to add to that, and, and you may have seen this, I tweeted this out. This was a stat in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend, uh, which is that the 50 most shorted stocks in the Russell 3000 are up 
15% this year. This was as of last, uh, I believe, Thursday. So, Tom, I guess I'll just start high level. I mean, what, what do you think is going on? Because I do think this is at least a little baffling to some people. It, it almost looks like a mini replay of late 2020 and early 2021. So, so high level, what do you think is going on here? Well, uh, the great thing, you're pointing this out, Nate, we're seeing those areas of the market that got crunched the most in 2022 are having uh, the best time in the market so far year to date. And if you look off of the lows that we saw in at the beginning of November, the three-month numbers, uh, it is high technology, disruptive, Kathy Wood type companies, but it's also emerging markets, specifically China. And when you look at the long-term charts, a couple things, those areas have declined so much that it makes sense at one point in time, they will recover. It's not as though these companies are going to go away. They will recover. And look, you and I know we can't predict, but one thing you can do from a technical standpoint is look at trends, both short-term trends in the form of a 50-day average or a longer-term trend, a 200-day moving average. And all those areas right now look to be positive, uh, you know, especially areas like China and emerging markets that have been so unloved for the last five years. Well, it's interesting. I'm seeing more discussion, and, and I'm not sure I'm ready to buy into this just yet, but around tech stocks and, and longer duration stocks specifically, where they have these profits way out into the future, the discussion is around whether these are now value stocks. You, you know, you, you look at Tesla down 65% last year, uh, now at 38% to start the year. You, you know, I noted ARKK. We know what that portfolio looks like. That was down 66% in 2022, now up uh, 25% to start the year. I actually saw a, a, a quote in the uh, Financial Times yesterday. This was from Kenneth Lamont, who's a, a senior fund analyst for Passive Strategies at Morningstar. He said, if you were convinced two years ago by the ARK story, technology is now on sale. And I just wonder if that is uh, some of the sentiment that, that we are seeing in the market right now. Here, here's one question I have for you, though, Tom. So, you, you know, I think clearly the Fed is a driver here. I think uh, investors are anticipating a potential Fed pivot. And, you know, as I thought about this, when we have things like, say, crypto and blockchain ETFs and ARKK and Tesla absolutely screaming to start the year, um, I, I, I think that is the easy theory to just assume, yeah, the Fed is going to pivot, right? Uh, and you're seeing more people say inflation is or was transitory, that the worst is behind us. And so all of that leads to us thinking maybe the Fed will ease up. But if that happens, that would theoretically support riskier assets, assets which we're seeing so far this year. Um, I, I guess, A, do you think it's that simple? And then B, if we continue to see these riskier financial assets accelerate, do you think that could actually cause the Fed to delay pivoting? Because they don't want to inflate any asset bubbles right now. At least I, I, I don't think so. So do you think that's a possibility? Yeah, I, I, the Fed has a tough job. Um, and there's never uh, success in landing that Goldilocks scenario, Nate. We know that. However, what we are seeing from advisors, a couple things. They are becoming a little bit more confident in growth and technology. We're starting to see more flows in those areas. And then on the fixed income side, uh, at one point in time, if the Fed does get it right, and there's early signs that they're controlling inflation, and if they do begin to uh, 
feel like, look, what's the biggest risk? Uh, higher interest rates and pushing the economy into recession or hoping that the medicine they've provided so far is going to gradually get us where we need to be. A couple things come out of that, especially in the fixed income side. You're starting to see more advisors that are uh, going longer duration, and also they're going up the yield curve, where short duration, uh, high quality was really important. Now we're seeing more appetite for corporates, more appetite for high yields. And with the idea that maybe a year or two from now, you're not going to get the yields that are offered today. So if you go out on duration, you might be able to lock in some decent uh, yields and get back to that 60-40 allocation that many abandoned just a couple years ago. No, I mean, that's an interesting uh, or some interesting data points. You know, you can look at that two ways, because with going to lower credit quality, that feels to me risk on, which is, you know, what we've seen overall in the market to start the year. And again, I just wonder if we continue to have that risk on mentality, if that's going to catch the Fed's attention. But yet, on the other hand, obviously, you know, locking in higher rates now, if the Fed does pivot and rates come back in, I mean, that certainly makes sense. Um, Let me ask you this. You mentioned uh, emerging markets, which I think certainly some people would point to that area is more risk on. I think some others may say, well, there were, there was some value there. You, you know, the same story we've heard for a while where, um, you know, lower relative valuations. But if you look this year, so uh, I'll give you two data points. The uh, iShares Core MSCI EFA ETF, so Developed International Stocks, ticker IEFA, that's up about 8% this year. And then the iShares Core MSCI Emerging Markets ETF, ticker IMG, that's up nearly 9%. And that's compared to the S&P, which is up around 5%. I, I took that back to October 1st of last year. And the performance there is IEFA is up about 27 28%. IEMG is up about 20%. And SPY is up about 13%. So the point here is clear outperformance from international stocks, which, as we both know, we haven't been able to say that (laughs) much for the better part of the past decade or so. So if we look at international in particular, any thoughts on what's going on there? Well, I think when you look at the fundamentals and from a valuation standpoint, boy, in some of these developed uh, international uh, countries that the underlying are half the price of what you're paying for U.S. stocks. Nate, you know we've had such a home country bias in the last 10 years. If all you did was buy the S&P 500 coming out of the financial crisis, it would have been really tough to beat. But with all that, we saw less allocation to developed countries, less allocation to emerging market countries. But all of a sudden, they're starting to take flight. We're starting to see more assets flow over there. And it's not just being in the right spots, but it's the allocation that you have in the right spots. And to your point, if you increase and diversify not only to develop, but also EM, and today when you talk about EM, it's not like the traditional BRIC countries. Um, We know that uh, Russia's dead. Uh, Brazil isn't really doing a lot. India's starting to come back to life. But from a cap-weighted standpoint, it's all China. Uh, had a great conversation yesterday with Jan Van Eck and Brendan Ahern from Crane Shares, prepping for the Emerging Markets and China panel for exchange. They've got a lot of great things to say. I mean, China is not going away. 
they are leaning in big time as far as their economy, their banking system, their currency. Uh, they have worked out the whole thing about Chinese stocks being uh, delisted from U.S. exchanges. And it's still early. So I, I think encouraging advisors and individual investors that now's a great time to make sure you have some allocation overseas because the price is right. Uh, over at Matthews Asia, they were talking about Chinese stocks that they hadn't seen these valuations in over 20 years, almost a generational opportunity. So these are the types of things we're going to talk about in Miami. But most importantly, identify it. But what's the right allocation Make sure it counts if you pick the the right trend at the right time. Yeah, and I think you know my thoughts on international. I mean, I, I'm clearly a believer in having some international um, stocks and a, a diversified portfolio. I don't think you can truly have a diversified portfolio with having without having some exposure there. Now, I know there are some people who may argue that. I'm not going to get down that path. To me, really, what this comes down to this year is the dollar, and I think if we do see. Um, some some more weakness in the dollar. Clearly, that's going to be supportive of international stocks. But, you know, I, I bring up international just because, again, especially when I look at emerging markets and then you look at what we've seen here in the U.S., again, ARC and some of the blockchain ETFs, it's just interesting to see this more risk-on mentality. Um, so I, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Clearly, there are still some geopolitical risks out there on the international stock side. And with valuations, as you start looking under the hood there, you, you know, it is somewhat tough to compare relative valuations around the globe just because of the different uh, sector composition of, of some yeah, of these you, markets. No, you're, you're right, Nate. And it, it's important to make sure we, especially this time of year, don't just be focused on the U.S., don't just be focused on large cap. For clients, diversify if you're a self-directed investor. Again, valuations are great. It doesn't feel that good. And back to Kathy Wood, it's funny. Uh, my boys in their 20s, I, I ask them every year to put a little bit into ARKK. And yesterday, my oldest son was like, Dad, do I just sell this thing? And we know emotionally that that's how you feel. But however, those companies are not going to go away. Disruptive technology is going to be the future. And I'm, I'm just telling them, don't do the stupid thing that I did, which was think that I, I was a good stock jockey in my 20s, if all I did was bought and held for those decades, I'd, I'd be a lot better off. So that's one of my missions, right? <laughs> well, you know, I'll, I'll mention with ARC, too. I know listeners have probably heard me say this multiple times, but I think it, it bears repeating that uh, with ARKK, again, up 25% this year after being down 66%. Last year, it would have been very easy, and really going back to 2021, for Kathy Wood to change her style. And, you know, she caught a lot of flack, and that's fine. If your, your fund's down 65 70%, you you're going to catch some flack. My point, Tom, is that she, she held firm on her approach and her conviction and her strategy. And so then when things turn, as we've seen at least thus far to start 2023, investors in those products are getting, you know, what was advertised. And you're getting that pop. And so I do think it's a credit to her for sticking with the strategy. You know, we'll see what happens moving forward. But, you know, can you imagine a situation where ARKK was down, say, 65% and they started making some real changes to to the strategy, lost their conviction, and then things start racing this, to start the year and ARKK is up, you know, whatever, 2%. That'd be a problem. Yeah. But that's not what we're it, seeing. It is. And, and I don't I think there's a zero chance of that happening. Uh, we, we stay in close touch with them. Obviously, it's been tough. They're, they're beat up a little bit. 
but long term, uh, I think they're going to be fine. And we'll we'll look back on this and say, remember when. Hey, Nate, before we go really quickly, I just want to give you kudos to your 2023 ETF predictions. I I thought they were spot on. Um, I I love your bullishness of hitting a trillion dollars in new flows in 2023. And and also the fact that uh, you like gold and even during this time when we may see inflation pulling back. What do you think about gold? Yeah, I mean, that is one of my big ETF predictions. I I do think it's going to be a big year for gold and gold ETFs. And, of course, for listeners, usual disclaimer, do your own homework. I don't have a crystal ball. But, um, you know, Tom, if you take gold all the way back to uh, the beginning of last year, it's up about 5% compared to uh, S&P 500, down 14%. Do you have any thoughts on gold? How do you like my prediction? I love it because traditionally gold actually does well um, during inflationary times, but it tends to be a second half player. It's not uh, winning the race early on, but in the you know later innings, it tends to come on strong. And if we're in a situation where, well, the Fed does its job and pulls us back from uh, you know nine percent. Uh, inflation rates to four or five, and we could be in four or five percent inflation for a period of time. And actually, we've operated in those areas for an extended period of time and been just fine. That's actually a good period for gold. I don't know if you're aware, I have a uh, a bet with uh, Todd Rosenbluth on uh, the the flows into physical gold ETFs this year. So I've taken the over on $5 billion. Obviously, he has the under. We have a nice uh, steak dinner, I believe, in, in New York City. But I was looking the other day. I think there's already been over a billion dollars into physical gold ETFs. Listeners can can check that, but I'm pretty sure we've already had over a billion. So I'm off to a pretty good start there. You know, Todd is the worst. He loses <laughs> every far bet out there, but he keeps coming back for more. Don't you, I love that guy. Yeah, I think, though, he has uh, this capital group bet with Eric Balchunas. Looks like it's going to be a winner for him. That capital group, I believe they had a bet that they would take in over $7 billion in their first year. And I think they're bumping up right against that. So I think there's a couple weeks left. But well, Good. I'm, it, I'm glad he can cash in. Um, Tom, before I let you go, I mean, any, any other thoughts? I mean, whether on, you know, alternative assets or coming back to fixed income? I mean, any any closing thoughts on what we've seen to start the year? Well, it's a great opportunity, and we'll be talking about that in Miami, Nate, to dust off the canvas, look at what you have as far as your portfolio, look to see what the short-term trends and the longer-term trends are, look at valuations, look at economies, but all those things collectively factor in. I think the biggest thing uh, that can hurt a portfolio is high concentration in one area. And again, for the S&P, that worked really well in the last 10 years. Ultimately, things revert back to the mean. Even sl- things like rather than going cap-weighted S&P, go equal-weight like RSP, which is actually going to have its 20-year anniversary, which is the Invesco equal-weight S&P 500. That over time, since it started 20 years ago, has outperformed the cap-weighted index, which a lot of people don't talk about. So again, those little lessons, um, I think, work really, really well especially for younger investors, younger advisors. Uh, one thing that they have that I don't is, is time. And make time work for yourself. I, I think that's really, really important uh, because we are at a point where valuations are a lot fit more favorable than they were a couple years ago. 
Well, Tom, excellent insight as always. Again, really look forward to seeing you here in a few days. I just looked at my phone. Right now it is 12 degrees, 12 degrees as I sit here recording this. I am ready for that Miami weather. So hope you have a safe trip down there, and uh, I'll see you next week. Yeah, well, you, uh, you also made it to the Super Bowl, Nate, so congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Looking forward to that. That was uh, Tom Lydon, Vice Chairman of Vetify. NASDAQ ETFs are always on the leading edge of market quality, execution, and reform. Providing tailored ETF services spanning product development, compliance, trading, market structure support, and unparalleled marketing tools to differentiate, activate, and amplify your brand throughout your product lifecycle. Visit our ETF landing page today for high-touch ETF support every step of the way. Is it time to amplify your income potential? Explore what a high-quality covered call strategy can do for your monthly income needs. Discover Amplify DIVO and IDVO providing monthly income potential and active management in the efficiency of an ETF. When income matters to you, explore Amplify ETFs. Get current monthly yields at AmplifyYields.com. There's no guarantee that distributions will be made. Investing risk includes principal loss. ETFs are subject to covered call risk. Visit AmplifyETFs.com to view a prospectus, which includes investment objectives, risks, fees, expenses, and other information that you should read and consider carefully. Amplify ETFs are distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. I'm now joined by Elizabeth Kashner, Director of Global Funds Research and Analytics at FactSet, who's a leading provider of financial data and analytics. And Elizabeth oversees all of their ETF and mutual fund classifications. And I would say without question, she's one of the best in the business covering the ETF market. And she's now on the line with me from Berkeley, California. Elizabeth, always a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time. For inviting me, Nate. Good morning. Okay, so last week you published an excellent piece titled ETF Investors Won in 2022 by Losing and Spending Less. This is posted at insight.faxit.com. Highly recommend everyone check this out. And the gist of this piece is that you did a full deep dive into 2022 ETF flows. And look, I think most listeners know the headline story from last year, which is that ETFs took in over $600 billion despite a very difficult market environment, right? It was a highly impressive year for ETFs overall. But what you did in your piece was really uh, dig beneath the surface. And you looked at the composition of flows, both from a strategy perspective and fee perspective. And we'll get into both of those. But I want to start higher level here. And I thought I'd tee you up like this. So if you had to describe ETF investors in one word last year, uh, you chose the word prudent. So uh, let's start there. Why is that? So, you know, when I thought about the characteristic of the flows this year, I thought, well, you know, they were very positive. But as we'll get into later in the discussion, you know, they're, they were also sort of cautious. And I thought the word prudence 
sum that up in that uh, the investors took the long view, right? Anybody buying securities in 2022 had to be in it for the long haul because uh, it, it wasn't going to pay off immediately. And they had a, a good eye towards risk and risk control um, and also kept a really uh, eagle eye on cost. And I think one of the one of the classic definitions of prudence is that you don't overspend. Okay, so let's start digging a, a little bit deeper uh, into the flows, and then I, I want to come back to the cost side of the equation. And let's start with equity ETFs. You noted some pretty interesting shifts in investor preferences last year. Uh, I would say particularly with this move to strategic or smart beta ETFs and, and active ETFs. Do you want to talk more about that? And, and, and I'm curious why you think that happened. Sure. You know, I think the first thing I would say is that um, – the equity flows in 2022 were at the second highest level ever, dollar-wise. Um, and so that is really quite impressive. Um, but um, I, I think you're absolutely right that the pattern that I noticed is that uh, investors were much more uh, deliberate about which strategies they wanted in 2022. Uh, there was a, a, a real preference for um, Strategic, which uh, some people might call smart beta, but really just refers to um, ETFs that uh, use classic academically researched uh, methods to construct a portfolio with security selection or weighting. Um, and also um, to active management, which also, frankly, often uh, accesses the same portfolio construction techniques, just the decisions are done by humans. Um, and... You know, the, those, I think, really showed that um, investors were, they weren't leaving things to chance. They, they wanted a little bit more of an income perspective. They wanted a little bit more of a value perspective. Um, options control strategies were, uh, were definitely on the up. And, and so I think there was a, a, a real um, a, 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 a hunt for downside protection in whatever forms it could take. Yeah, it was amazing. You had a stat in the piece that 61 percent of 2022 flows went to non-vanilla ETFs, even though vanilla had a 64 percent share. That really jumped out at me in the piece. Um, Elizabeth, you also noted that investors generally avoided uh, sector and thematic ETFs. And as I thought about this, you know, thematic ETFs were one of the biggest stories of, of 2021 and, and certainly going back to late 2022. What do you think happened here last year? Do you think this was just risk off? And, and so investors stayed away from thematic ETFs, which which I would say as a whole do tend to traffic in uh, riskier categories. Do you think it was that simple? You know, I think the interest that we saw in thematic ETFs in um, 1920, 21 was really um, sort of a frothy, it's only going up kind of market. So I, I guess, you know, to use your words, there was a risk on play. Um, it tends to be a performance chasing type of activity. And so, you know, investors see a certain sector or theme or industry go up and they want to pile in. Uh, I don't think investors were confident making those bets this year, even though, you know, you could find some sectors that outperformed. Energy, for example, was really quite strong. Um, there were some country funds like Turkey that that really blew the doors off. But uh, that was just not the investor mood. The investor mood, I think, was uh, much more towards the core of the portfolio. So I think um, in equity anyway, Explore was a bit on ice. 
Yeah, and again, a stat that I'll offer here, which just jumped off the uh, page to me, is if you look at sector and thematic ETFs, just $1.8 billion into the products in 2022. That was compared to $122 billion in 2021. So, uh, again, really highlighting that. Um, y- y- you know, going back to your prudence label, which I thought you did a great job of explaining. I like that label. I, I think that's a pretty good way to describe investors last year because no question they were trying to be a bit more defensive and certainly seeking lower cost options as we'll talk about here in a moment but if i'm just playing devil's advocate for a moment elizabeth isn't that uh sort of another form of performance chasing because it's really just money moving to better performing strategies right and and i just wonder if investors might be caught off sides if the market bounces back, which we have seen so far this year. Tom Lydon and I were, were talking about this earlier. So is, is that prudence or is that just another form of performance chasing? I think there's a good argument to be made that it's performance chasing um, in a sort of depressed context, right? Uh, you know, a, a better move for performance chasing would have been to go to cash, frankly. Um, and so uh, it, it was not the most successful type of performance chasing. It was a little pathetic, I would say. But I do think it sort of represents what I, what I framed at the outset, which is a long-term positive outlook, um, a desire to be invested in the core portfolio, but um, wanting to look towards risk control. And, and yes, Nate, quite often strategies that look towards risk control and look great on the downside, they do lag on the upside. You know, for all of my years of ETF due diligence, I really have, you know, had just a handful of occasions where I've seen that over a five or longer year period, any of these strategies produce risk-adjusted outperformance. And certainly not compared to a a very broad-based cap-weighted portfolio core. Well, certainly something that'll be uh, interesting to watch with the start we've seen uh, to this year. Um, Okay, before we get into fees, let's briefly touch on bonds. And on the bond side of the equation, you noted that investors actually gravitated towards plain vanilla strategies. And and this was a complete landslide. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I will. I was really surprised about that. Um, You know, the stat that I used is that uh, Bond ETFs are just more vanilla-y in general than stock ETFs. Uh, vanilla was an 86% market share at the outset of the year, but 96% of the flows went into vanilla ETFs in fixed income. And, you know, when I first calculated that stat, I said to myself, oh, my gosh, you know, was everybody just in the, the big vanilla, right, BND and AGG, total bond market ETFs? But that's actually not what happened. What happened was that we saw every much as every bit as much of an active take in fixed income, but it was just um, done through tactical vehicles rather than big broad vehicles. So uh, we saw a move away from investment grade bonds and specifically uh, corporates and into treasuries, U.S. Treasuries in particular. Uh, you know, we the uh, the single most popular bond ETF in 2022 was iShares 20-plus year treasury bond ETF, TLT, right? And the third most popular one was almost the mirror image. It's the uh, BIL, the Spider Bloomberg 1-3 to three month T-bill ETF. It's so uh, interesting. So, yeah, go ahead. No, please. 
Well, I, I was just going to say, you know, we talked a lot about this last year that I, obviously with rates rising, I think you had one segment of investors who they didn't want to stand in front of that rising rate freight train. And so they were parking in shorter duration products, you know, very high quality, something like BIL. But then on the other hand, there were concerns about a recession. There still are. And so I think you look at something like TLT, which can be a good hedge if we do get into a recessionary environment, things go south. So I I think those flows are just interesting because they highlight that. And you probably had a decent segment of investors who were investing in both, right? There was this barbell approach where you were taking on a little bit of duration as a hedge, but then also parking in shorter term products just to, again, you know, not stand in the way of rising rights. But uh, no, I, I just thought the the dichotomy there is fascinating. Yeah, you know, Nate, I took a look um, breaking down by term structure, um, looking at what the starting market share was and what the flows share was. Um, and the the ETFs that specifically focus on long-term maturities, they were only 4% of the market share at the outset of the year, but they took in 14% of the flows. Uh Ultra short term, almost the same, 5% of market share, but 17% of the flows. Even intermediate, 11% of the market share and 19% of the flows. So, so what didn't get interest? It was the broad maturity funds that comprised 54% of the market share. They only took in half of that, 23% in flows. Well, and again, I think that really speaks to what you were highlighting and that investors were seeking out these more precise vanilla strategies. They wanted to control for for credit quality and duration. Um, Okay, Elizabeth, with our our remaining time, let's get to one of my favorite topics, which I think, as you know, is ETF fees. And uh, I I actually tweeted this out last week, but I'll offer up the headline from your piece and then you can add some color. So the headline, at least in my opinion, is asset weighted average ETF fees dropped by 0.01% last year down to 17 basis points, 0.17%. And you noted that this number was 23 basis points five years ago. So with with that stat, talk about what you found with uh, ETF fees, maybe especially in the context of everything else we just discussed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I, I, I think this is really why I named my main character Prudence and not, oh, really? You're investing in the market now, girl? (laughs) <laughs> and that's because uh, fee compression seems to be an all-weather phenomenon in the ETF industry. You know, it's not just the overall asset-weighted fees, but when you do a deep dive cutting the uh, the marketplace by asset class or by strategy, you see the same stair-step pattern, you know, from higher to lower uh, in all of the major asset classes, really and all of the strategies within equity and fixed income. Uh, and the, the most notable one really was um, in the active equity space this year. Uh, I think I, I noted that um, at the end of uh, 2019, active equity ETF fees were, had been cut in, uh, sorry, versus the end of 2019, active ETF fees had been cut in half down to 38 basis points. Um, so that's that's an enormous shrinkage of the fees in the active equity space. Yeah, so talk more about that, because I, I saw some of those stats, too. I'll offer up a few more here. So you noted that the active ETF or active stock ETF category costs five times the price of plain vanilla as recently as 2020. But at the end of last year, 
that ratio was down to three times as much. And you suggested in your piece that maybe this will settle down somewhere around two times as much longer term. And uh, to, to your point, you, you noted how active ETFs are around, what, 37, 38 basis points, depending upon if you're looking at equity or fixed income. That makes a big difference when managers are trying to uh, generate outperformance. So, so talk a little bit more about active ETFs in particular. Sure. So, you know, active performance has long been hobbled by high fees. I think anybody who opens up the SPIVA report, which I highly recommend you do, it uh, comes out twice a year, S&P Active versus Index, can't help but notice that active management has a chronic underperformance problem. And the underperformance is generally in the range of the fee level, right? And so as fees come down, it would seem that the percentage of actively managed strategies that generate a risk-adjusted positive return uh, should be a little bit higher. Uh, it's ironic, though, for the asset managers that, you know, they want to get paid for their performance, but the ETF world just has so much competition that, you know, that revenue source just keeps getting squeezed. Well, and that's a good uh, segue here because I, I want to close by talking about some specific ETF issuers. Uh, so, look, you highlighted how lower cost plain vanilla ETF issuers like Vanguard and Schwab gained market share last year, uh, as have lower cost strategic and active ETF issuers like JP Morgan and Dimensional. And then you noted how pricier plain vanilla issuers like uh, iShares and State Street and then more expensive active issuers like ARK and First Trust lost some market share. And I guess my question for you, Elizabeth, I mean, is this just going to be the same old story moving forward where this all does just come down to fees and we're going to continue to see this cutthroat competition. We're going to continue to see investors seeking out lower cost options. <laughs> what, what's the end game here? I think competition in the ETF space is a real boon for investors and for advisors who serve them, right? Because the better you can do for your clients, the, the happier everybody is. Um, and so in a robust marketplace with a lot of competitors who are offering similar and sometimes identical products, price becomes a major differentiator. You know, um, for the providers of strategic data and active management, the one that gained the most market share overall in the equity space this year was dimensional with an asset-weighted expense ratio on average of 23 basis points. Right behind them, J.P. Morgan, 24 basis points. Uh, and I think, you know, those are some houses that are proving what can be done at scale and what price point can be offered. And, you know, since performance is inconsistent at best, you know, I, I think Prudence has to keep her eye on the price tag in an up market, a down market or a flat market. Well, I think that is the perfect ending point for our conversation. Elizabeth, great insight as always. Listeners, again, you definitely want to check this out. This this is ETF Investors 1 in 2022 by Losing and Spending Less. This is posted at insight.factset.com. Um, Elizabeth, look forward to seeing you down in Miami next week for uh, exchange. Should be a lot of fun. Thank you for joining me this week. So excited to see you at exchange. Looking forward to it. And thank you so much to you, Nate, for having me as a guest and to your listeners as well. Thank you. That was Elizabeth Kashner, Director of Global Funds Research and Analytics at FactSet.
That'll do it for this week's ETF Prime. I want to thank one of our sponsors, NASDAQ. If you would like to learn more about NASDAQ ETFs, you can visit nasdaq.com slash solutions slash NASDAQ dash ETF dash listings. Next week, as mentioned, I will be down in Miami for the Exchange ETF Conference, and I'll be recording this podcast live. We'll see how that goes, but be on the lookout for that next Wednesday or Thursday. Until then, have a great week, everyone.